from baseball's top personalities. The Hall of Famer, one of the great TV broadcasters, Bob Costas is here on A's Cast Live. To the A's legendary players. Five-time Major League Baseball home run champ, Mark McGuire is with us here. You never know what stories you're going to hear. We used to come out here to lunch and run with our shirts off. <laughs> you would say. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Time now for another edition of A's Unfiltered. Today, Tommy Everidge, the hitting coach for your Oakland Athletics. We'll talk about the minor leagues with Melissa Lockhart from The Athletic, Brody Brazil from NBC Sports California, and Eno Saris from The Athletic. But we'll start first with The Athletic's hitting coach. Well, it has been a long hiatus since we've had him here on A's Cast and A's Radio. But Tommy, it is great to have you back. How are you? Good, good, really good. So, so the start of the season so far, how do you evaluate it, and how do you evaluate your hitters? Um, I mean, I, I think a lot of good things have happened. I think, you know, there's obviously little ebbs and flow that happen that, you know, kind of get in the way. But I think guys are turning upward, and, you know, I just really like the fight. You know, they come out every day ready to compete, and, you know, they lay it all out there. You know, when I, I want to start with a guy where it's a major positive because, you know, in life, you're going to have a lot of hurdles. Uh, you saw it throughout your own career. You saw it with guys around you in your career. Now, as a coach, you're seeing it. And you can get news that you don't like, and you can get sit down when you don't like. And I think about Sheldon Noisy, and I remember when this ball club sent him down, and he was not thrilled about it and everything that he's been through, and now where he is as a professional, the way he's swinging the bat, uh, you know, for you know, the defense is one thing, and obviously he's got to clean that up. But just how proud are you of him, of the start of his season, his approach, and the way he has gone about his business? Well, I mean, I, I told him that early on. You know, I told him, you know, I don't know if you want to call it maturing or you know, I did, I sense like a calmness to him that I never really felt like, you know, it's kind of cool being in my position, just, you know, being around those guys in the minors, like you see them really like mature and, you know, and, and Sheldon, that's just what he's done. I mean, we all don't like things when we're young and cocky and then sometimes we realize we just got to deal with it and move forward. And, you know, and the way he's going about it, I couldn't be more proud. And, you know, I know you guys, you know, watching batting practice as we're there on the field, and we've been doing this for a long time, and, and, and watch there is a part of the stations when you get in that cage, the approach to go the other way. Just how nice is it to see one of your hitters really be able to go foul pole to foul pole. He can take you deep. He gets a lot of hits to the right side, really being a complete hitter. Yeah, I think that's good. I think that's, you know, what we're preaching and uh you know, I think it's kind of gone by the wayside, you know, it's like, why not just barrel a bunch of balls? <laughs> why not hit a bunch of doubles, driving a bunch of runs or the home runs will come just by hitting, you know, just quality of contact. And, you know, to see Sheldon just take what he's given, you know, I mean, I'll take a single the other way. And, you know, it, it definitely sparks the ball club. You know, one thing that I've always liked to talk to Scott Emerson about is, is, you know, we think of you guys, well, you're the hitting coach and you're the pitching coach, or there's the base running, there's defense. And you think it's all about just the physical attributes of the players when the reality is you're as much a psychologist as you are a hitting coach. You got to help these guys mentally day to day that they have issues, whether it's issues off the field, on the field, they got, they're human beings, just like all of us. They lot, they got a lot going on. So just talk about the mental side and how much of your job is to help these players on the mental side. I mean, I think the majority of it, I would say is mental. I mean, obviously there's physical things that go on, but you know, just try and keep an eye on each person. Like, and as you learn them, I mean, you can kind of tell pretty quick in a cage if maybe something's off. And then so maybe you just kind of question it to the player and maybe they're open, maybe they're not. But I think remembering they're, you know, they're just another person like us. I got issues. <laughs> we all have it, like little issues, you know, and but kind of letting them work through that and then get back to work. You know, I, I think the focus is to win the game for the other, you know, 25 guys who got in there and, so it's it's you're definitely not just kicking stuff to the side, but you're trying to get them in a right frame of mind to go out and compete. Yeah, I've been trying to tell people, especially when I'm doing the post game show, you know, I've been noticing like after games on the field, 
you know, these guys, you know, a lot of, you know, once everybody went on the COVID list, it seemed like you brought up so many young guys. I mean, there's a lot of toddlers. There's a lot of babies. This is it. You know, there's, you know, this is not, this is not like the team we've had the past couple of years where you had a lot of veterans. So yeah, th- these guys got a lot going on just beyond baseball. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how many new babies we got, you know, that's a new experience in people's lives and, you know, and, and sometimes that's a good thing. Having to care for someone besides yourself kind of, you know, can be calming, but I mean, yeah, there, I mean, I couldn't imagine, like we had a bunch of guys up here making their debut and, you know, as a coach, that's always exciting because, you know, I'd seen a bunch of those kids maybe uh, at their lowest point, you know, in the minor leagues at some point to see them persevere. It's huge. You know, at some point, you know, we've already had a bazillion guys up here, 36 guys, 16 rookies. Guys are going to go down, but they're definitely going to be a huge part. I'm not sure what's going to happen to Nick Allen when we're taping this interview. We have no idea, and obviously you can't say anything. But let's just take a player that you know is a big part of this team's future. He's going to go back down to Las Vegas. What advice do you give that player knowing he's a big part of our future? Well, I think anyone who goes down, you know, I mean, just they got to keep going. You know, I think sometimes people go down and either they, you know, I'd see it, um, you know, last year in Charlotte, they think they've done everything now and life is great. And then the game kind of sticks it to them or, you know, like just keeping them positive. Like you're going to be a part of it. Go, go bust your butt and, you know, work on the little things and, you know, just clean things up. I, I would say that's just kind of what happens is it's not that you're not ready to play here, but you could take advantage of this time or, you know, you could waste it. And so always just try and guide them into the, you know, the right mindset of taking advantage of it. You know, it's crazy about our sport. And I don't think people really, it, it, it comes to their mind when they're at the ballpark. We're the only sport that puts everybody's stats up on a board. You go to an NFL game, you go to an NBA, you go to hockey. They're not putting everybody's stats up there and what they do and how they're doing. But in baseball, everything that you're doing is on display. Players look up, they see it. So when you've got a player who's struggling and you see it up there on the scoreboard, he sees it, the fan sees it, you know he's probably in his head. How do you get to a point where you try and get him, don't think about that, you can't change your batting average. You can't change your stats in one at bat. How do you get them to focus in just on that bat and to get better in that moment? Well, yeah, I think like, you know, um, we put something up the other day, like a quote in the cage and it was, uh, you know, don't let past mistakes, you know, get in the way of future success. And I think if we're harping on the past, I mean, your batting average is what it is. It's a reflection, but I mean, there's no reason like that's a reflection of you. So trying to remind them, like, why can't you get a good pitch to hit and barrel at this at bat? Like, there's no reason why they can't physically. But, you know, trying to get that, get their mind, you know, the negative mind, I always say we all have another person in our head, you know, like who's negative Tommy or, you know, whatever you want to call it. But you got to kill that guy. There's, there's a guy with doubt up there. And so it's just reminding them that, you know, you're not going to get the things you want, you know, crying and worrying about what's already happened. Like, what can we do now? And there's no reason any of these guys can't barrel a good pitch to hit. I mean, they're, they're, they're so good. Well, yeah, you, you, you gotta, you gotta get rid of negative Tommy and you gotta go back to Tommy at Sonoma state. You crushed at Sonoma state. When I look back at your numbers, obviously it's great to have you as a, a Northern California guy on the staff, but you go back to your college days. My God, your numbers were unreal. I mean, I had a lot of fun. I mean, when you talk about a good environment, Coach Gelt's up there, you know, it was just a great place to be. And, I mean, just tremendous teammates and atmosphere. I mean, you know, that's like the genesis of everything. It's where the A's got me. It's where I met my wife, you know. So I have a lot of fond memories. So, you know, good things help your stats, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, feel good, play good. <laughs> You know, uh, when you think about being a Northern California guy, I don't know how much family uh, or, you know, if your wife's family's fall from here, but but what is the experience like being in Oakland, not only as a player, now as a coach, or being a Northern California guy? Well, I mean, we've we've moved to Arizona, uh, the family, but um, they came up here and uh, opening day at home was my mom's birthday. Uh, So, you know, that was nice. You know, my grandma, 
um, my mom, my sisters, you know, for all them to come down, um, you know, it just means a lot because, you know, they've always seen you kind of what you've had to go through. So that was a big moment. I would definitely. Yeah, uh, it was nice. Yeah, that's special stuff. I mean, when you can be close to home and everybody can do- enjoy We just had Brandon Hyde on the program. He's also like you from Northern California, manager of the Orioles, and he talks about coming to Oakland every year means so much because so much of his family can come see him because being on the East Coast, he only gets to see him so much. So it's always great when you're back home, either with the A's or coming to play against the A's. One thing that I want to get with you before we got to let you go, because I know you got to get to the ballpark, is we have made every excuse for pitchers. We've made, starting in 2020, obviously the shortened season, so we made the excuses then why they can't go innings. And then we made excuses last year that they can't go a lot of innings because of 2020. Now we're saying that they can't go innings because, oh my God, there was the lockout and it was a short spring training. We've taken away the pitchers spider tack. We've taken away their sunscreen and rosin, whatever that, that little thing, the concoction they had rolling. We've taken everything away from pitchers and yet they're still dominating hitters. We're at a record low at everything right now on offense. So you tell me as a hitting coach, why do you think pitchers pitchers are still dominating hitters, especially the way they are right now? I don't. I mean, they're good. <laughs> like, I, like they're throwing hard. And, you know, I think that's what we're trying to tell the dudes. And you see trends kind of shifting back to being maybe just a good hitter versus a guy who can launch, you know, I think. You know, they're in the lab developing stuff to counter our moves. And, you know, I think we got to fight them on that. And I know that's what we're trying to do. And, you know, just just be good hitters. You know, they're not just going to let you hit homers. And I think they're adjusting a little bit better than we are right now. Do you ever roll your eyes like I do when everybody makes the excuse for pitchers? And, oh, this has happened and that has happened. You're like... These guys are all in shape. They're all ready to go. They come into spring training in shape, ready to go. But everybody keeps making excuses. Do you ever roll your eyes? No, I I just, to be honest with you, I mean, the amount of work these guys put in, taking care of their body and recovery and stuff, I mean, I I think they're taking away excuses. You know, they, they, they bust their butt. I see the players, like, we didn't have all this stuff when I played and it wasn't that long ago I mean I I just I'm really impressed at the way both sides go about trying to be a professional you know I mean there's a lot more you know trying to get your rest and making sure you're in peak performance because I mean you're seeing guys throw 100 like that's just what it is now (laughs) I miss the days where there was just two soft throwing lefties in every rotation I don't know how else I would have made it to the top Well, yeah, yeah, it's so funny for for guys like myself. You know, I pl- I played against Mark Kotze in college when he was at Fullerton. I played at San Jose State, and I've joked with Mark going, they had n- we had nothing. Like you think of all the technology, and I'm looking down the bullpen, and there's rap sodos, and there's high tech cameras, and I'm like, we had here's a ball, and, and I always laughed about all the rosin and. We, we didn't even have rosin bags back then. It's amazing all the stuff you guys have, the technology to help these players. Yeah, and, you know, we got it on the hitting side, and a lot of it comes back to the simpler things. And, you know, it's like, you know, it's a little, it's fragile when you're trying to introduce things, you know, but a lot of it just proves kind of the old school things, you know, like you want to hit the ball harder? Like that's what we've always tried to do. Like here's just a measurement. Here's a certain way to go about it, you know. And and just trying to tie all that stuff together. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, I tell the hitters, like the pitchers out there trying to take food off your table, like, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to be easy out or, you know, you're going you're gonna to fight them. And I think our boys have been fighting them really well. Hey, we really appreciate the time, especially during the season. We've really enjoyed your chats also with Ken Korak, you and Emo. I think it's great for A's cast and the A's radio network. I think fans are learning a lot from you. So thank you for the time today. Thank you for when you come on with Ken. We appreciate it, and we'll see you later today at the yard. All right. Thank you, guys. So cool to have Tommy on, no doubt about it. Also, we love talking about the minor leagues with Melissa Lockhart from The Athletics. She covers it as good as anybody. Is Melissa with us right now? Can we see her? There she is. How are you? Great to see you. Great to see you, too. How are you doing? 
this is the new, this is the new gig we got wrong. What I do know, you think? It's fancy. Yeah, we're trying to take we're trying to take the A's into 2022 from a media standpoint. Outstanding. So how are you? How is everything with the A's minor leagues? It's good. It's busy. You know, it, it, it after last season was like kind of dipping your toe back in, and now we're full rush back into a full you know 140 game season, and uh, it's been exciting so far those first three weeks. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing, I feel so bad for these guys. I know we've talked about it in the past. I mean, some guys absolutely lost a season in 2020. 2021 wasn't uh, the same. Hopefully there was some type of normalcy this year. You know, very tough time to be a guy trying to move up in an organization, especially if you weren't a bonus baby. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was really incumbent upon those guys to decide, you know, how they were going to handle um, that season that didn't happen. You know, some guys went home and had access to uh, workout facilities and places to play and were able to kind of keep themselves in shape and others didn't have that or, or weren't able to, to, to get it as regularly. So you saw a big disparity last year. I think hopefully this year things are a little bit more on an even footing um, and, you know, players can kind of make up a little bit what, what was lost. All right, for you as someone who's watching every game, watching all the box scores, paying attention to the draft, the movement through, throughout the organization, guys that leave, guys that come in, a lot of different ways, when someone like a Nick Allen gets called up and is given a shot to play, how do you feel about that? I love it. I, I think, honestly, there's nothing in professional sports like a Major League Baseball debut. You know, there's you can have your first moment in the NBA or the NFL, but there's just something so individual about throwing your first pitch, taking your first swing, uh, getting out there on the field for the first time. And, you know, the amount of work that goes into each one of those stories is incredible. Um, and for someone like Nick, where you just been waiting for that for so long because everything you've heard about him as a player, as a teammate, um, as a defensive player all throughout, um, you know, just kind of builds up that anticipation. So uh, it's fun, you know, and, and I think um, I remember last year, I think it was Bobby Crosby who said, you know, Nick might struggle for a week or two at his new level, like he does at most levels. And then when he hits his stride, he'll never look back. So I think we're going to see a lot even better of Nick Allen come moving forward, but it's been great to see what we've seen so far. And that's what's so interesting. So we can hear from Ed Sprague. We can hear from David Force. We can hear from Mark Kotze. But when they're giving answers, their answers, obviously, there's things around that. There's the business of baseball when they're giving those answers. You, you don't have to give us the business answers. You can just give us the straight answer. Is there anything left for him to do in the minor leagues? No, I mean, you know, there's always something you can work on in the sense of, you know, he really doesn't have a ton of upper level at bats. But when you think about baseball instincts, when you think about, you know, him playing defense at a high level, which is often the last thing that comes for players, um, he really knows his own approach at the plate now. I think he just needs at bats somewhere. So if, you know, if it makes sense to have him in the big leagues with the A's, I think he's ready to do that. And again, like, you know, if they're not expected to win the pennant, um, living through a couple of weeks of struggles at the beginning of a big league career is a lot easier to stomach than say, you know, it might've been last season. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know how they're going to shuffle everything around when Kevin Smith comes back. And obviously we wanted him to have a lot of at bats too, but, um, I don't necessarily see anything in AAA that he really needs to do. What are the interesting stories or players you're really, a pay you're really paying attention to here at the early part of this year down the minor leagues? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think that double A Midland squad is really fun. Um, Zach, Zach Geloff was the second round pick last year and has just been, you know, nonstop. On amazing fire. Player. Yeah, I mean, he's 14, <laughs> 14 straight hit uh, games with hits to start the season. And if he goes one for four, you're disappointed. You know, I mean, that's kind of a crazy thing when you think about like uh, a guy jumps from college to double A, essentially, you know, with just a few games last year. And he's doing this um, as a hitting streak right away. Great athlete, hustles right out of the box. Every time he hits the ball, he had a double the other day that probably went, you know, like 10 feet past the shortstop. Um, you know, it's solid second baseman, third baseman. He's going to be a really dynamic player. So he's a lot of fun. And then that pitching staff, you know, they added Ryan Kusick. They added JT Ginn. They had Colin Pelius already set to go there, who had, had a really great year last season. 
a lot of high octane fastballs, um, breaking balls that really break in impressive ways. Um, so it's a lot of fun. And then there's some guys that have gone back to that level, like Logan Davidson, who are off to good starts. And I think you like to see that uh, as well. Um, and then, you know, down in Stockton, Max Muncie is off to a terrific start, you know, for a 19 year old in an advanced league. Um, he's already got four home runs. He's hit, he hit one the other day. It was 99 mile per hour fastball up and he took it out to right field, which is pretty impressive for a 19 year old kid that they were basically like, dude, you're not a, a power hitter yet. You can wait till a little later in your career to get there. So that he's doing that already is pretty incredible. And then I think we're going to hear a lot about Denzel Clark, who's an outfielder in uh, Stockton right now, although I imagine he'll be up in Lansing after not too long, but um, you know, guy that played at Cal state Northridge, he's from Canada, originally is you know his mom was a canadian uh sprinter in the olympics unbelievable athlete big time power potential um runs well for a guy who basically could play middle linebacker in the nfl um so it's, there, there's definitely some really fun stories going on you know i think about your uh, you know your muncie story and it just goes to show you when we see players come up and they're not freaked out by 98 99 you're trying to explain it's like you know, there was a time when we started seeing the velocity go up and it was like, wow. But now this generation of players, they're seeing it at such a young age that they're not freaked out about seeing this high velocity. As much as the pitchers have adapted and learned how to throw harder, the hitters, wouldn't you say, they've adapted at the same time. And as pitchers have grown, so have the hitters. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, they can train off of high velocity, uh, you know, machines like pitching machines now that you didn't used to have that before. So you almost needed to have a guy who threw 98 for you to be able to face somebody who had thrown 98. You know, now they've got a gun, that, you know, the, uh, a pitching machine that can get that to you. You know, they've got VR where you can basically take at bats off Max Scherzer, you know, and and uh, have seen that with your eyes. And I think once that reaction it becomes kind of ingrained in your, uh, you know, your muscle memory. It's not the same as facing Max Scherzer in real life, but it's as close as you could have ever gotten before, uh, you know, in, in the way that, that baseball players develop now. So um, there is a lot that, that players can do to uh, adjust to the fact that pitchers are as good as they've ever been right now. You know, when I think about those high, you know, high velocity, back in the day, we had the jugs machines, right? Mm -hmm. It was the two wheels, and we would put the dimpled, uh, ball and the rubber ball in and the and, and both both different wheels you could you could I'm doing it because now people can see us so I can explain <laughs> it you could actually make them spin at different at different speeds so you could get it to throw a breaking ball but problem was when you would get those things up super super high and try and throw as hard ball got a little squirrely yeah. And you didn't want to be a hitter in there because if you got the jugs machine up over, let's say, 93, 94, you're getting it there at your own risk because those balls, plus those balls were all beat up anyway. That was scary. So, you know, technology, as much we talk so much about Rapsodo and everything and all the different high-tech cameras for pitchers, it's good that the hitters have better technology and better equipment now to, to keep up with what we've given to all the pitchers. Absolutely. You don't want batting practice to look like a Cardinals Mets series. So, you know. <laughs> Shots fired. I like it. Um, when, when you start thinking about the A's from a standpoint of guys that are going to be able to help, we know younger guys, I think Geloff, we saw Geloff in San Jose last year when he came into town and you looked at him and you went, oh yeah, that guy looks like a third baseman. He's the full package. But once again, we deal with the business of baseball and service time and all that kind of stuff. Who do you think are the closest guys that the fans could know that could help this ball club as soon as possible? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, another guy I should have mentioned earlier is how well Shea Langoliers has yeah. done so far for Las Vegas. I mean, you know, he's catching well, he's throwing well. I think the last time I looked, he'd thrown out six of the ten base runners who attempted to steal on him. And, you know, that's that's tough to do in the – in an environment where pitchers are more focused on, you know, trying to get swings and misses than holding runners. So, um, you know, he's been the real deal behind the plate. And then, uh, you know, at the plate, he's looked as good or better than you would have expected. And, you know, obviously that's a league that's geared towards hitters, but um, I think it's worth keeping an eye on again. You know, there's obviously Sh Sean Murphy's, I think 
probably the A's best player right now. And so you're not necessarily looking to have someone come up and take playing time away from Murphy. But, um, you know, I think at some point this year, we'll get a chance to see a little bit of Shea Langoliers and see what he can do at the big league level. Um, and, you know, I think like the, it'll be interesting to see how they shuffle the double A guys. I mean, they basically, you've seen the entire triple A Las Vegas <laughs> roster up in Oakland in the last week and a half, it seems like, I mean, it's, it's been pretty incredible. Um, you know, Cody Thomas, I think when he comes back from his Achilles injury and uh, is, is able to be playing again, is hopefully someone that you'll get a chance to see. Cause I think he could really um, add to the dynamics of, of the A's outfield if he's healthy. Um, but some of the guys at double A, you know, assuming that, that you don't necessarily see Christian Lopes and people like that kind of staying at triple A all year, um, you know, you can start to see Max Schumann moving up uh, and he had gotten a taste of triple A last he's year. Been hot. Up, you know, this is a guy who's, you know, 50 stolen bases last year. Um, he's hitting for a little more power already this year. Um, not, you know, not a, maybe a star in, in projection, but like a really interesting, solid player. Um, you've seen, you know, Mickey McDonald and I don't, we haven't got a chance to see all that he can do yet, but really fantastic defensive player gets on base, runs the bases really well. Um, so there's some role players I think that you uh, can, might see this year. And then the real stars, you know, that are like the Kusicks and the Gins and the Pelius and Geloff and, you know, maybe Logan Davidson and, and, and Jeremy Ironman are, are guys that you, you might start to see um, maybe at the beginning of next season. So Cody is handing me his phone and you did an article on Mickey. So his, oh, so his dad played with Barry Bonds. Yeah, this was, this was a fun, a fun article. Yeah. So his they dad. They had a lot of good players at it. Cause uh, Greg Jeffries, wasn't he, didn't he go there? Tom Brady, obviously. Yeah, so it's actually funny because uh, uh, Ray McDonald, Mickey's dad, uh, texted me a photo earlier today of Mickey with Greg Jeffries ta- talking about switch hitting <laughs> <laughs> um, back when he was in high school. But, I mean, it's an incredible story. Yeah, his dad played all four years with Barry Bonds, so Mickey had a chance to know Barry growing up. He was a, a ball boy at uh, Pac Bell Park as a visiting uh uh, ball boy back and when he was a kid when Albert Pujols was there so he took hitting tips from Albert Pujols awesome. um, and then Tom Brady was one of the players that sent him a congratulations when he got called up you know because his uh, Tom's sister Maureen is uh, was an all-american pitcher at uh, Fresno State and uh, Ray Mickey's dad runs a, a softball academy in, in San Mateo so um, a crazy connections but just I mean one of those people when it you know it was sort of like when Seth Brown got the call you know, you could just hear everybody in the organization's just thrilled, right? Because here's a guy that really had to earn it. You know, nothing was going to be handed to him. Um, you know, 18th round pick in 2017, you know, did not have the best year in 2019. So had to go home in 2020 and basically remake his body and came out with the best season he's had. And really like people were talking all throughout the, we're going to call it Pacific Coast League now. I'm never going back to that Triple A West, but um, <laughs> but you know people were talking about like, who is this Mickey McDonald? Where did he come from, and and how is he this good when he was playing last year? Um, and he he did that himself, and I think that's really awesome. And it, it was just such a great thing for him to be home for five days at the Coliseum for his whole family and all of his you know teachers and middle school friends and all that to be able to come see him, and then to have this series in San Francisco also. Um, I think it's just a fantastic way for someone to start their big league career. You know, you mentioned Sean Murphy and I look at Sean and I got asked about it last night and I know this off season for him was about making better contact. And right now five for his last 26, a lot of strikeouts um, last seven games. Haven't gone well, had a great spring Hasn't necessarily translated. He had a run there for a little bit on the road trip. But he's 27 now. He's not – it's not 23. It's not 24. He's 27. This is in into your prime uh, of your career. And you mentioned, and you mentioned Langoliers coming over from the Braves down in AAA. I just – how big of a year is this for Sean Murphy and kind of like for him where he's going to be as a professional? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think every year is a big year. I, you know, I think the thing with Sean is that he's already 
one of the top, if not the top defensive catcher, you know, in, in, in the American league, like he's, he's going to make a run for gold glove every year. Um, so you have that already. And that's a special player by itself, just given the position. And then you add in the power and you add in the RBIs, which I think even when he's struggling is, is always something that can be there for him. Um, and if he's a little bit streaky, I think you can live with that because I think the end run will be a guy that maybe doesn't hit for average, but will hit for power. will drive in runs. We'll eventually get those walks going again. I mean, to be fair to him, he hasn't had any protection in the lineup for that entire five or six. Like every single time he's come up, there, there's no reason for the pitchers to be focused on anyone else but him and getting him out. Um, so it's not like, you know, he's got somebody behind him that, that they're kind of going to challenge him so they, so they can put you around him. And I'm sure he's pressing a little bit because he knows he's probably the biggest bat in that lineup. So um, I think, you know, we'll, we'll see better results from him. I think what you saw in that little stretch, um, you know, in Tampa, uh, you know, that, 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 that is the Sean Murphy that we'll probably see a lot more of as the season goes on, but um, whether he stays with the A's or whether, because they have Langoliers, they, you know, they make a deal with a team that, you know, could, could use catching you know, that I think we'll never know until that happens because um, that's always sort of a moving target, but I think he's well positioned to be one of the top catchers in, in the baseball for a long time. Hoping and hope that back gets rolling because obviously with the A's offense right now, not hitting with runners in scoring position, getting guys back from the COVID list. I know you've been a Chad Pender fan for a long time. He's back. That's good to see. And I've wondered in my little world, wondering out loud, would it just be great to see Chad Pender, even though he's now shown he can be an outfielder and that StatCast loves him as an outfielder and you know, all these different things that he can do. Just maybe one time to say, hey, you know what, Chad, you're playing second base, you're playing every day, go get him. Yeah, I mean, you know, the greatest mystery I've found from this season so far, and I, I have not dug into any analytical data, so there's obviously going to be smarter people than me that can answer this, but, you know, they've really struggled to turn double plays. I mean, I don't know how many balls have gone to the second baseman or the shortstop so far this year that you think, okay, that's going to be a double play, and then it's just a force out. And that's caused a lot of extra outs. Um, that pitchers have had to get so far. Um, so I don't think they've found their answer at second base um, in any respect. I mean, you know, Nick, Nick Allen's played some there, but I think ultimately you, you want him on the other side of the base on a regular basis. And um, it is fun of a player as Tony Kemp is. And as much as I think he needs a regular role somewhere, it, it doesn't seem like defensively that's necessarily the answer right now. I mean, you know, who knows? It could just be a slow start to the season for him defensively as well, but um, they do need to figure out an arm strength issue that's going on there. I think at second base and Chad definitely has a strong arm. So, um, you know, maybe he could be, but uh, I, I think, there's got to be some sense of urgency to try to figure out why they're not getting as many results on those ground balls um, and turning them into double plays as they should be. Great stuff as always. We'll be reading you in The Athletic. And uh, I said it last night on the A's Clubhouse show, uh, we're going to be calling you a lot because the minor leagues is more important than ever before. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. This is fun. Keep up the great work. All right. Thank you. We say it all the time. Subscribe to The Athletic. It's fantastic journalism. And how about our buddy Brody Brazil, the host of A's Pre- and Post-Game Live on NBC Sports California and a fellow San Jose State Spartan. Here's Brody Brazil from NBC Sports. Hi. Da, 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 da. I'm doing great, Tony. I appreciate the opportunity. I'm, I'm just happy to be here. We're doing our shows from here tonight. I just did a whole 30-minute thing with Kotze, so... I'm, I'm living the dream today, especially now here with you. Well, it was you who actually said that last night about I know. yourself. No self-deprecation. So, I'm a big fan of self-deprecation. So if anybody I'm, thought I was being cruel, but I mean, I'm like just. If, if you're tuning in today, yeah, you want to hear Brett Phillips, great baseball guy. You want to hear what your GM's saying. You don't want to hear what the pregame, postgame host is saying, Dave Stewart's assistant. You don't care what Stu's, you know, number right number two right-hand guy's doing. You don't care. But here, here I am. So what are you, you going to fill this segment with? What? You're going to try and get me to give you some content? And you and Cody are better off without me here, honestly. But And on that note, we'll see you all tomorrow right here <laughs> on A's Cast Live. No, uh, it's great to see you. Likewise. The likewise. new set looks good. Thanks. Yeah, we've had it for a while. Obviously, we couldn't use it for <laughs> a, a baseball season. But, yeah. uh, no, we're, um, we're happy to be there. I mean, as much as I like our studio, 
I love being out here at the Coliseum. You know, it's just it's the, the feel, the conversations you can have, showing your face a little bit, feeling a game instead of just watching it on TV. So I, I encourage fans to do the same. That's where for guys like us, you know, I mean, God bless the players here, but if we do ever get this at a Howard Terminal, oh most of these guys obviously won't be here. But for guys like us, to what we, you know, when I've traveled around with the A's or even with the Raiders and you go to these new stadiums and new ballparks, they've got TV studios and radio yep. studios. Yep. Like the future would, you you would be a big at per- every game. A big perch, me and Stu up there yeah. and Shooty and Bip, and we'd be looking down on the field. I agree. Um, can I ask you a question, actually? I was going to ask you about that guy that shows up on the web hits. He's fantastic. Yeah, town, some, some Uncle Towny guy. Yeah. Um, you know, we could sit here and talk about this this 2022 20, A season, right? And yeah. they could go on and win a World Series this year. I'm, I'm just saying that would be one heck of a story. It's a possibility. Right? What a storybook that would be. <laughs> Even if that happened, the most shocking thing to all of us happened. You mentioned Howard Terminal. That pales in comparison to this team and this franchise solidifying their future, solidifying their new home, like this baseball season. What I'm saying is – this is the most important Oakland A season of all their 55-plus years of being here, but it has nothing to actually even do with this baseball team. And I say that as a person who covers every game. You grew up down the street. Well, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I care about yeah. every game. Like, I want this losing skid to end tonight. I, I care about um, hitting, getting more than two hits in a game. I care about cutting the errors down. I care about all that. But it's all kind of put into perspective when you think about this team being here and solidifying the new ballpark. Or not. Like, that is the number one focus, honestly, for me right now. As weird as it sounds. We, we do the shows. I watch the games, keep score, all that stuff. But in the back of my mind, like, that's that's the burning thought. I think it's one of the reasons why the fan base loves you is because there's been a lot of people that have come to Comcast. It's now called NBC. There's been a lot of news people. There's been all these different shows. And trying to build up people who are not from here. And like what I say, you grew up not too far from here. You yeah. grew up coming to the stadium. Yeah. You grew up, you were, a, you were a kid when the Sharks came to town. So the two teams <laughs> that you really cover, yeah. you know, you, you grew up with this. So you're just not some guy that came in to do a TV job and you're pretending to care. Right. You really do care. Well, you're right about that. I mean, I've never had to fake the authenticity. You know, when, when good stuff happens for this team, I'm thrilled. When there's a 97-win season, there's platinum gloves and gold gloves and getting to the playoffs and getting past Chicago a couple years ago, yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled. But obviously, I, I ride the highs, I ride the lows, too. You know, I feel it. So I don't I, – I try and maintain an even keel, you know, in my presentation, but I, I feel all the same things, and hopefully I can, you know, relate to the fan experience because – that's what matters most, right? We, we get a little bit jaded working in this business, I think, sometimes. We see it as a business, and we forget the fan perspective. I'll tell you, I know you mentioned it last night. We've talked about it. We've all talked about it. It's very, very scary, but we're glad it's finally here. Like, everything that Dave Cavill has gone through, everything that this team has gone through, there's been so many votes, so right. many committees, so right. many councils. Right. Count. I mean, there's right. counties, there's cities. County, there's I, mayors, I've listened there. to more city council and board of supervisors meetings, like, in, my, in the last 12, 18 months than in the prior 40 years. I mean, I mean think about is. how many times Cavill's gone up to Sacramento. He's even gone to D.C. I know. But you know what? We finally get something. We yeah. fin- Here we go. June 30th, yeah. we talked about it last night. This is the vote that it's yay or nay. Because if, if you get this vote, it's going to happen. If you don't, well, it's so it's done. This one, I'll put it this way. If it's no, you're stopped dead in your tracks, right? The project literally comes to a halt. But the recommendation for the BCDC to move forward with this and, and vote yes on it, and that was kind of the expectation. But now to see that that is their preliminary recommendation, you kind of get a good sense that, I think it's a 30-voter panel that, yeah. that they will vote in favor of that since that's what's been recommended to them. And, and even more facts have been presented about Howard Terminal, the site, seaport operations. I mean, there's, there's so much more information now that, gosh, and it's even hard for me to digest. There's so much of it. It comes from so many different places. So I, I, I want to kind of, like I said before, I've dedicated my time to this, the stadium more than anything else. It's just to try and educate people. There's so many people out there. It's not their fault. They've heard from a somebody that heard from somebody else. It, they're not getting the facts completely straight about why this benefits Oakland. 
uh, how this could work, how this could seamlessly integrate with everything else that's already going on there. So, uh, but you're right. This next vote, June 30th, huge by the BCDC. And then obviously we have to get into binding votes with the city of Oakland, county of Alameda. Those will come too. But again, the timeline is all this season, this baseball season, and really this calendar year should dictate all of these things happening. You know, the one key thing is binding. Yeah. We've heard a lot about people agreeing, people voting. Yeah. Nothing's been binding. That's yeah. what we're we're finally getting. Into well, the, the next nuts one, and bolts. yeah, the next one will be right to 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 remove port priority use from the land. I mean that that's an official thing. They're basically opening the door to saying you can do this. Ballpark, three thousand housing units, uh, retail, commercial, all that stuff. They're they're basically saying so now if you can orchestrate this and pay for it and all that stuff, you can do this. You can use the land for this. And it's and it's been tough, and I understand, you know, with how fans they got a lot of fatigue. And as you mentioned, this team right here, I know I kind of made the joke, whether it was right or wrong. I said, hey, whether Seth Brown hits with runners in scoring position, <laughs> it has no, it does not matter at all for the new ballpark. I I have a son who's going to turn five in a little bit, and I. I want him as a teenager to go to A's games, or at least have the option to if he wants yeah. to. Um, no offense. I, I hope it's not in the same ballpark his daddy grew up in. Uh, he's been here before, and I you know, give him a couple more cracks at that too. But you know, I, I think it's it's the least our generation of fans could do is to, to be aware about what's going on, to inform others, and to understand it, and, and to do everything, at least in my case, with a platform to help people – you know, feel favorably about it because they should. They honestly should. I feel bad when I'm talking about it at night, you know, because here, you know, I, it's like I got a bunch of different shows and how, how you handle the shows. And the one at night is kind of the real, real. Right. And it's hard to tell people, listen, I get what you're talking about with the players of today, but if you just do the ages, what we're talking about, best case scenario where we always know there can be some hiccups, like we saw with Petco Park. It got delayed by two years. Yeah. So right now we're kind of hoping 2028. 20, right. I think it, I I would even say seven. Okay. But if it got if it but if it got pushed back, no, I, I mean, know. kind I of know. the only guys. I know Nick Allen just got sent down, but it would be Pache. I know who you're saying who who would be on the team. Yeah, I know. It'd I be know. Allen, right? Right. Soderstrom. Those I just asked. Guys. I just asked Mark Kotze, By the way, I was like, I know you just took this thing over, but <laughs> could you picture yourself managing an A's game at our terminal? You know, that's yeah. that's a long way off for him. But I'm uh, hoping I'm not retired. I, and I used to be the one. Why I used to be one of the young guys around here. Townie, if I get to do pre and post game live for the last A's game ever here at the Coliseum. I mean, I I cried about Fosse a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah. We, we showed his tribute. I couldn't help myself. But if you – I cried for a few minutes. But if you want to see me cry for an entire show, <laughs> last game of 2026, I'm going to have a hard time holding it together here. But, but happy tears, right, um, you know, to move on to something. At that point, right, you know it's going to go well. You know it's going to what you want. I'd be pretty thrilled about that. Yeah, I remember being there. I it's back when I worked at KMBR for the last game at Candlestick Park, which right. I had right. zero emotional. I just thought it was cool to be there, and out walks Willie Mays, and they're right. taking home plate right. in a helicopter. They helicoptered and, it out. That's right. And you're like, yeah, this is pretty cool. But, so to imagine what this right. would be like. But think about you. You were talking about the journey, right, and how it's been 20 plus years of Cisco Field, of San Jose, right? Fremont, so Fremont to yeah. San Jose, then the Peralta site, all these things. So I get it. Like, there is some building of tension and frustration among the fan base. But all that being said, and then there is some healing to do, right? Like, if we could get some binding votes and the shovels eventually in the ground, yeah, there's some healing for the team and the fan, the fans to do with each other. But and to go across the other side of the bay for just a second, I mean, yeah, they thought they literally played their last game. And they were going to be in St. Petersburg. 93, right? At the 93. Trop, yeah. They literally thought, that's it. See you guys never again. I mean, the A's are not at that point, but it just goes to show you how deep and dirty this process can get before it ultimately turns around. I know you interact with, with Giants fans still. They're your friends or your family, whatever. Eh. They forget about that stuff. Eh. Oh, you're, well, you really cut them off? you got to show me how to do that. My, my wife was like, oh, here's a picture of me with Vita Blue, and he was a giant. I said, he's always going to be an A. <laughs> but hey, you know, when I was you know at, what I'm saying, though? They, they forget about all the hard times. Well, when I was at San Jose State, when yeah. I got here, yeah. right, in yeah. the early ni 1991, yeah. they were having votes in San Jose to have the Giants go right, there. Right. Sharks didn't even exist right, when I got there. Right. 
it's just it'll a lot of this stuff these years right they're hard to go through now yeah but you will i i really think people will remember them a lot differently in reverse you won't forget like oh yeah that was a struggle but all the stuff you're going through now and hoping for the next approval and the next vote and looking at kind of the um antagonists of this story you know who are, who are trying to make it more difficult um you that stuff will fade I, I i know i'm saying that hopefully trying to be the wise you know the wise optimists here but um i i truly believe that's how it'll be in in 20 years if this thing is all said and done okay i don't want to do this to you all we're right. friends all right? all right i didn't want to do this but sometimes oh boy Cody takes over. Okay. And okay. I wanted to keep this on the up and up and just about A's. But arm wrestling? Cody wanted to do this. All Go right. ahead, Cody. All right, two-part question here. Okay. Uh, first one, who's going to be the Sharks GM going into the 2022-2023 I told you, I didn't want to do this. It's a great question. And second, please tell all of our listeners who don't care why my hometown Pittsburgh Penguins will not win the Stanley Cup this year. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, should I do my Dan Rusinowski impression? Well, Cody, Scar! Scar! Uh, I think that... <laughs> I, and, Rosie, if you ever hear this clip, you oh, know... Oh, no, I'm sending it to him. Imitation so is the highest form of flattery, Rosie. You <laughs> know that. This is going to him right after the show's over. Because um, I, I won't do Drew, because I... Yeah, anyway. Um, so, I think with the Sharks GM, the search is so wide open right now, and Jonathan Becker, the team president, has talked about this a little bit. It's, it's impossible, and I've heard a name already like Kevin Weeks. No GM experience, former goalie in the league. Why would you hire a goalie to be your next GM? Tommy, they just, you know, they, that's, they just sit there all game. Get long. a skater if what you're going to get a former, if you're going to get a former player. Get a skater, not a goalie. They're weird. Okay. A, d- a dumb guy who just blocks pucks with his face. Here's here's the only two things I feel confident in saying to you that actually matter. That actually come with some weight. The Sharks are either going to install a new GM that comes with all their own people, new scouts, maybe new head coach. I mean, if I'm Bob Bugner right now as the head coach, I don't know honestly where I stand until that process is figured out. How could anybody know? Somebody who brings in all their structure, top to bottom, or they do install somebody like a Kevin Weeks and just that that type of person who's maybe not done this before, but they can slot him in around other people, the Joe Wills and all the scouting department, keep the rest of their core that has an idea of the direction, has an idea of their players. And then basically it's just, it's just a substitution instead of like a whole top to bottom overhaul. And the other thing is, I know, going too long on this, but that new GM's going to have several important decisions to make, not just the current long-term contracts, but all the young players, the Ecklins of the world that, you know, are you, you going to bring them in next year? Are you going to start their clock? What are you going to do? Um, Bordalo, same thing. So mm-hmm. it's a difficult task. What was the next one? Why won't the Penguins? Well, I got to – what about Ned Coletti? I, I mean – there you go, I mean, right? He has, he has, Already in the family, yeah, right? And he has experience being a GM in a different sport. A different still. sport. And, and, again, so, uh, you know, I don't, again, I don't want to speak to anything specifically because I, I really don't know, but probably part of the interview process, right? So, um, Ned Coletti? Yeah. Well, he's, he's, a scout, he's been a scout, scout for them. The yeah. yeah, I know that. Ned Coletti, who was a GM in baseball and the assistant GM. Is he bringing Barry Bonds and Jeff Kent with him? Uh, who knows? You get the Barry Bonds of hockey. You know, it's like you don't <laughs> – well, pitch the, around the guy. What's the what's – Is the, Brian Sabian going to be his assistant <laughs> GM? <laughs> guys, uh, guys, this is too much Giants talk here. Yeah, yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's get away from this quick. The, the second part Dick was – Dick Tedrow coming with him too or what? S- second part was why will my hometown oh. not win the Stanley Cup? Oh, you know why? Game one tonight. The East is too tough. The East is just this loaded out there. You know why? Because Joe Thornton needs to win it with the Panthers. That's what, that's where my heart is, and my brain thinks that the Colorado Avalanche, this is their year, 120-plus points in the regular season. And they have, honestly, they've never even got to a conference final. Uh, so I think this is their year to push through and at least get to the final. So Now, something that we just talked about with the A's it's kind of something that's coming to a head with the Sharks. You know, I, I watched being someone who lives in San Jose. I'm a taxpayer there. Yeah. Santa Clara County. And I watched the San Jose Arena be built and been going there my entire adult life. Sharks want a new building, too. Uh, How's that going to work I don't out? know that they want a new building. Shark They've, Tank's old. No, no, no. They So they have put a ton of money in. They just put a new ice, ice system in there. They're going to put a brand new Jumbotron in there. I, I've been told it's not a Jumbotron. That's a Sony product. <laughs> putting in a new big screen inside there. They are putting a ton There's of money. names for these? I didn't know. Yeah, that. well, Foss always used to call it the Diamond Vision, yeah. even though it hadn't been Diamond Vision <laughs> in like 30 years. It's very Fossy, though. Yeah, he could say it. Yeah. Um, no, the Sharks want to stay at SAP Center. Their concern right now is that all these projects downtown are going to essentially suffocate the building, make it hard to get into and out of. The north parking lot, for example, where I have been parking since <laughs> you drive a car, 
that's going to go away in large part over the next handful of years. So where's everybody coming? going to come and park? The, the, uh, from what I understand, these project plans have the streets narrowed from four lanes, like Santa Clara, four lanes to two lanes, one each way. How is this going to work? What's the experience going to be like? So I, I know what you've heard, but the, I think the real issue for the Sharks is that they have invested in this. They want to stay there. Now, they're also probably not opposed to if they have to get out and save their franchise, they'll do that. But I think it's, it's their desire to stay in that building. They're just worried about their neighbors, and you're right. The Ace and Sharks, my two teams, I just made a YouTube video about this, by the way. They're dealing with one is trying to do a project and having to jump through every hoop right, to get it right at Howard Terminal. The Sharks are trying to say, hey, we need you guys to do this the right way so you save us. Two different sides of the spectrum, but critical, critical problems. The one thing that we have learned, and you can go up and down the state, right? You can go with the Kings. You can go with Niners, Warriors, Giants. You can go down to Rams. You can go down to Chargers in San Diego. It is so hard. Earthquakes. And now looking at what the Clippers are trying to do. Anywhere you go in California, northern or southern California, the bottom line, any type of project. It's hard. Oh, yeah. It's just really, really hard. Well, it's hard. Okay, so there, it's hard in two ways. Hard to get everything approved and passed, and especially if you want to do anything by the water, right? That's that's even harder. But let me ask you something. Isn't getting it right also really hard, too? Like, I've been saying this a lot lately. The easy thing to do and the right thing to do are rarely the same thing. You know what the easy thing to do is? Just build a new stadium in the parking lot where I parked today. Like right outside here. But that's not the right – that does not work for this area, for this franchise. It doesn't appeal to the casual fan. It just doesn't work. It's possible. Yeah, anything's possible. We can go build a new A's ballpark in Tracy. We'll just build it on the other side of the Altima. Whatever. There's tons of land out there. It, but it doesn't work. So I think, to your point, yes, it's difficult, but also getting it right. And to that extent, like Levi Stadium, is that is that a world-class venue? I mean, itself, the building, the structure, yeah, it's – looks beautiful but placement of it like that really hitting for for fans around here i don't know i don't i don't i don't is it is it a buzz and that's why for the a's do you want to build a levi stadium for yourself it's just there it's next to great america or do you want to build at howard terminal where it's like okay we compete with the top level mlb products back to your webex guy <laughs> that's just <laughs> a good host always brings it back to himself <laughs> Oh, I know. <laughs> right? Cody, isn't that what you always instructed? Yeah. Well, it's, oh, a good producer always brings it back to himself, but now it's a good host. He's deflecting. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's good. It's good. Well, hey, thank you for coming on. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Yeah, I'll do it anytime and uh, keep the, keep up the good TV work. Like, you really, like, when you, your, your hit yesterday, you didn't, can I say half-assed? You did, well, I already did, but yeah, you didn't, like, you put some research into that. Stu and I are like, look at this guy. He's out hustling us. I don't even remember. What did I do? You're talking about uh, Dalton Jeffries' pitching matchup, I think. Oh, in college. Yeah. Oh, don't worry. It was half-assed. No, it, it, it was. It was. You knew how to sell it, buddy. So. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not putting the whole world into these things. I'm just being honest. No, with it you, looks. Like I just want it. to look good. Looks like it. Because so. I, you know, with you and Stu, no. I know I got to bring my A game every day. <laughs> to the millions watching, I got to bring my. <laughs> My A game every day. More people see us on Twitter, so. <laughs> All right, go. buddy. We'll be yep. well, and we'll uh, hopefully see you out here more often. Yep. Have Cody show you the Lululemon pants, by the way. He'll, that's a whole separate uh, conversation. I'm wearing Fabletics today. Oh, okay. Hey, you there know you what go. I brought up the other night? We were bringing back members-only jackets. Oh, my grandpa used to wear those. Huh? <laughs> members-only yeah. jackets. I think I'm going to ask for one next Christmas, uh, yeah. Got, got one of our callers sat in a cab with Norm Charlton after the World Series in 90. Norm was still rocking the members only. I'm like, we need to bring hey, that back. Hundred bucks. Foss had like six members only jackets back in the day. Hundred bucks. He was. He was. He endorsed them. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, be good, well. Great to be with you. That's Brody Brazil, NBC Sports California, and not only do you hear him A's pre and post game live, but also we love the Sharks too. Sharks pre and post game live. The great Brody Brazil. And now when you talk about a guy who does investigative journalism, that's Eno Saris. When Eno Saris puts something out on The Athletic, it's a must read. Here's our buddy Eno. Eno Saris 
you got to dig in. It's like you, you got when you're going to dig into an Eno article, you got to bring your lunch pail. You got to be ready to go because this thing it's going to be well written. There's going to be a ton of information. There's times Eno where I got to step back and think about it for a second, then dive back in. Then when we print it out, it's like 15 pages. I got everything <laughs> highlighted, and we bring it to the show, and it's like. I mean, it's it, it it's a ribeye with a baked potato. It's it's a lot you get into. All right, well, I'll take that as a compliment. It is, <laughs> it is, and and we keep talking about you from the standpoint of the last time we had you here on the field, or maybe was it on the field the last time we had him? Uh, it was on the phone. It was on the phone, but we were talking about the humidor, right? That's right. And my friends, they do not want to believe that. There can be humidity without heat. And I'm like, wait a minute, I just did this interview. Here's the article. Go look at the definition. Like the places that have the most humidity are Oakland, San Francisco, and San Diego. It's not Miami and Tampa. And they don't want to buy that. Well, I mean, it was pretty complicated. But the, the idea is that as it gets hotter, you can have more raw water in the air. So they're right, too. I mean, it's right to think that those places are super humid. Yeah, they are. But when it comes to, like, a ball that was stored at you know relatively normal temperatures the relative humidity matters is more and that's you know, when you're near the water relative humidity is high and they just didn't want to buy that and i and i can't, i sent them all the article and they went oh well, that's fascinating well now i'm embarrassed to say that like the way that this is turning out in the early season is not quite how i predicted no, you predicted record home runs my friend that's right that's <laughs> right and the i think the problem is w there's still a lot to left to be seen because Early in the season, it's actually drier, and later in the season, it is wetter. I mean, that is the, how the, 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 su the summer goes, right? So right now, what I found is that they were actually wa adding water to balls here in, in, in the Coliseum. So they're, 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 the balls are getting more water from the humidifier, from the humidor, and that's why they're not going as far. It's part of why it's not going as far in Oakland. But... Later in the summer, the process may be reversed, and we may see more than we normally see in August. So that's like when you're in the pool and you have a ball, and you take the ball, the ball, and you duck, duck it underwater. <laughs> that's sort and of it what's happening. It right absorbs, <laughs> yeah. and you try and throw it across the pool, and it doesn't go as far. Is that what you're saying? That's sort of what's happening, right? Layman's now, terms, yeah. right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. But but in the later in the season, when the ball is normally a little bit more humid, uh, the humidifier will, will the humidor will pull the water out. And so we may see just a weirder, more imbalanced season where April is more down than usual and August is more up than usual. So, you know, some of this, I think baseball itself is figuring out on the fly. I mean, well, because the humidor works differently in different places, right? So what it does in dry climates like a, an Arizona or a Colorado a mile high up is going to be different from Miami or San Francisco. Yeah. And then on top of that, we I mean, I know how the balls were stored here, you know, just somewhere. FYI. <laughs> Just somewhere. They were somewhere here in a humidor next to some cigars. But, but in, in before the humidor, we don't know where they were stored in every other place. So, for example, Atlanta, very humid. You think the humidor would take water out of those balls in, in Atlanta and make them go further. Well, what if it was in the air, in the air conditioning room and it was super dry? Then they might actually add water to that. So we don't know the original storing conditions before the humidor. So, you know, I'm doing my best, and I may have been wrong. You're, no, you're, we'll you're, it's an ongoing investigation yeah, is sure. what it is because I'm going to listen to our friend Chris Bassett, and Chris Bassett says each inning, I don't even, the balls all feel different. They, they feel, so if Seabass is saying what you give me in the first is not the same as the third, well, nobody pitches into the sixth inning anyway, but if they did, you're now getting a one in the sixth inning. So it's like you're getting a different ball all the time mixed in with the humidor and a handmade baseball. Well, it's crazy. He, it, it all starts because it's a handmade baseball. That's, that's, that's the chaos, right? But then Bassett is also right because if you take water out of a ball, you know, in sort of like it's flying, you know, you're flying the ball, you're driving the ball around. It's not, it's not in a humidor then. So it's, it, let's say the ball dries out while you're, fly, you're flying and driving it around, trying to get to these different stadiums, and then you put it in the humidor and it, it wets up again. It's not going to wet up in a uniform manner because it's a handmade thing with stitches on it and different parts. So it could these balls could be sort of rehydrating, and they could be different from ball to ball. However, the one thing that I don't agree with Bassett on is that this has been going on forever. 
Like the, the there are more hit batsmen every year that we've set records every year going back like 10 years. So it's about the fact that we throw high in the zone more than ever. And I was able to show that in the athletic. We throw inside more than ever. And we also value stuff over command on the free agent market. You know, and I was able to show all those things. I think that is what's been generally happening. So maybe Bassett is right about the feel of the balls, but also there's been stuff going on in baseball that's been leading to more hit by pitches. If you throw higher and up tight, there's like you can't get out of the way. You know, if you're pitching low in the zone, you're going to you know, you can still dance out of the way. How do we compare like Willie Mays? I did an interview years ago with Willie Mays. And Willie Mays said every single time in, in a game that Don Drysdale was on the mound, Don Drysdale didn't just throw up and in. He completely knocked him down, his helmet off, the whole thing. Guys got hit a lot back in the day. Like when my grandfather played without the helmet, I mean, he missed an all-star game because of it, right? They got hit. Are we hitting guys more now than what they did in the 40s, 50s, 60s? Are we just hitting guys more now than the early 2000s and in the the 1990s? Yeah. the answer is that uh, we're hitting them more than we did in the eight, in, ever in the free agency era. So f- since 1970, the line, I can show it to you right here, just Look goes up. Look at this up. research right here. It's amazing. And that's the hit by pitches just from 1972 to now. They just go up. So we don't have 60s and 50s where we knew hit guys were, there were crazy some, throwing a There were ball. some, yeah, so there were more hit by pitches back then. But what I wouldn't be able to tell you if we were pitching more inside or up in the zone because we didn't track that sort of thing until, like, 2000. So, like, the football's made by a machine. Basketball's made by a machine. Tennis balls, golf balls, obviously. I mean, more golf balls are made than any other sporting equipment because uh. us golfers lose them constantly. <laughs> and then the hockey puck is it's rubber that's frozen. Yeah. Why is every other sport use a ball that's made <laughs> by technology and we're still talking about a handmade ball in baseball? Uh, it's the stitches, man. I think. I mean, I think you could develop the science to do it. It might be very expensive, and then you're making tons and tons of balls. So if you make the making of the ball more expensive, then you know maybe that's maybe that's prohibitive. I don't know. Can you talk about the or just kind of generically talk about what you've been working on and what's going to be launching here, which I think will just be fascinating, and yet really scary at the same time <laughs> yeah it's uh it's coming soon i think probably thursday on the athletic uh but uh we've been working on a piece about swinging and i've been working on it for a year because i was fascinated with the art of not swinging because if you look at some of the players like juan soto or uh you know joey Votto over the years they've made a name for themselves by not swinging they are not chasing balls but also just not swinging and i found this fascinating math thing which is that not swinging, just swinging less, is positively correlated with outcomes. So your OPS goes up if you swing less. Teams win more if they swing less. And so in the course of this reporting where I was talking to people about how they developed their plate discipline, if it was their father at home, you remember Barry Bonds with the the balls and the colors on, that sort of, I got all these sort of stories. But as I was reporting that, I was realizing that this had implications for the sport, because if it's better for the player not to swing then the nerds will will tell their teams it's better not to swing (laughs) and then we might have another crisis on our hands we have a crisis because i'm gonna tell you this and i and i and you know i'm a big mlb now fan brian kenny we've seen you takes of the week we've seen you (laughs) on mlb network you do a great job when you show up there that's all i watch i'm a baseball nerd i admit it i admit it there was a show that it's Brian Kenny, Mike Lowell, and Joel Sherman of the New York Post. And Mike Lowell is earlier in the season, and Mike Lowell gives the – everybody's got to say, sorry, Brian, but we're going to talk batting average, right? <laughs> and they start talking about how horrific batting average is and how it's just – 230 right now this spring. And Joel Sherman said the best thing. He goes, BK, I've been on this show probably more than anybody. Did it? And he, he goes, I'm going to tell you, here's the bottom line. Baseball's gotten smarter – and worse at the same time. I paused it like I do with reading your articles, and I paused them on my couch, and I go, oh, my God, he's right. I rewinded it. I watched it like three times. Baseball as a sport to where, like, basketball realized shooting more threes than twos means you score more and win more. And it's more exciting. 
and it's more exciting. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> like, 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 like throwing throwing the ball more than 10 yards down the field in football, the data shows I get more pass interference calls. Like there's all Scoring this stuff. Goes up. It, 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 the field lengthens, so it makes it more for longer running plays. Scoring touchdowns go up. Touchdown. We're in a sport where our data, Joel Sherman hit the nail on the head. He should coin it, by the way. Yeah. Our game has gotten smarter and worse at the same time, and your article is going to prove that. I mean, You're going to tell another me. another way of, of doing it. Yeah, Jed Lowry said the same thing. I mean, right now, run suppression is where the analytics are. You can put – there's a, just a piece came out on Baseball Perspectives that said that the outfield shift has been even more effective than the infield shift. Outfield batting average has gone from 160 to 120 in the last five years just because now they know exactly where to put you in the outfield. We already saw the death of the left-handed ground ball single. That doesn't exist anymore because they're shifting – they overshift over there. And then now we're doing pitch design on the pitchers and we're, we're trying to get them to do exactly these shapes that make it really hard on the, on the hitters. Strikeout rate is up. We figured out how to even math velo. Now we're getting velo is up to 94 is the average this year. 94 is the average. So, you know, basically run suppression is the name of the game. And then and then baseball deadened the ball no and threw God. a bunch stop, of humidors stop. in. And now we're now the league is hitting 230 with no homers and 23% strikeout rate. I want an article. It's not my fault. I, I'm a nerd, but it's not my fault. I, I, want, I want an article. <laughs> That I only want to hear about stuff plus if the guy goes at least six innings a game. Oh. If he doesn't go six innings, stuff plus means nothing to me. <laughs> nothing. I did find one time when I did the research that command numbers uh, predicted how far you could go into the game better than stuff. By the way, David Ford says, get him out of here. Let's go. It's time for the David Ford Show. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, article breaks on Thursday. That's right, yeah. We I've... will promote it, and let's have you on again soon to dissect it. All right, thanks a lot. The great Eno Sarris from The Athletic. I got to tell you, it's worth them. Get, get the monthly. It's worth it. It's the best journalism going. Well, that will do it for another edition of A's Unfiltered. We'd like to thank Tommy Everidge, Melissa Lockhart, Brody Brazil, and Eno Saris. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.